1: Hi everybody! I want to first thank Ken Quiet Hawk for his amazing intro. He and his wife are native storytellers. Please check them out on the internet. They are amazing, talented, spiritual people, well worth getting to know. And I want to thank those of you who are listening and joining us tonight. If you're listening in archive on YouTube, please subscribe. It lets us know you're out there. It's going to be a fun night tonight. I have one of my favorite people on tonight. I have Mary Joyce, who is the editor of the website Sky Ships Over Cashiers. She joins us again for, with, for some fascinating information on the gray ETs and some tall white ETs who were observed by a U.S. Air Force weather specialist in a remote section of Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada from 1965 to 1967, and time permitting, We'll also talk about how to fend off an alien abduction, something everyone should know. Mary has worked for two major metropolitan newspapers, the Orlando Sentinel in Florida, as an artist and columnist, and the Oakland Press in Michigan as a Sunday magazine editor and then a feature editor. On the side, she's written magazine articles and books, and since 2008, she has been the main researcher and editor for Skyships Over Cashier's website which features a wide, wide variety of cutting-edge topics, from UFOs to secret underground bases, from Bigfoot to Cherokee little people. Mary has gone from investigating mob stories in Detroit, including Jimmy Hoffa's death, to interviewing people with the highest top-secret clearance about clandestine government activities. She's even had a face-to-face interview with a whistleblower with Cosmic Top-Secret Clearance, who once worked within the top tier of the infamous international cabal. Because of her website and books, she's been a frequent guest on radio and TV shows, as well as Nightlight, in the USA and Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. And you can find her website at www.skyshipsovercashiers.com. Please check it out after the show, of course. Um, You will be amazed at the material she covers. Her archives are phenomenal, and she has over a decade's worth of archives there. You will be so impressed by how she presents material, how she triggers your, your mind to start working, and sends you on many adventures into checking out other material that you would never have gotten into before. It's an amazing website. I highly recommend it, and I'm so very grateful that she comes on and and share some of her material with us every month. So, welcome to the show, Mary. I'm so glad you're back.
2: Thank you. You certainly do give a wonderful introduction. I almost sound special.
1: Well, if you if you do much more, I'm going to have to ask you to stay longer because it's going to take up half the show reading your bio. It,
2: sound, it sounds that way, doesn't it? My goodness. Anyhow, that was very nice of you. Thank you.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Totally. I... I I eat up your website, and every time you know we talk about or we sort of go back and forth and figure out what we're going to be talking about. I do find other things that I find fascinating as well. So um, I I don't know where to start really, except you have you you have some fascinating articles on on um, ETS, and then you have that lovely interview with that uh, gentleman who um, was the Air Force. Uh, man who uh, who worked with the ETs, which fascinated me. So let, let's get into the ET stuff, and then we can get into... Um,
2: I'll into tell you ET. what, we'll get started with the man that you're referring to, his name is Charles Hall, and oh. I learned about his book 16 years ago. And oh, wow. uh, he has he had, I think, really kept a constant diary of his experience as a a weather specialist in the remote part of Nellis Air Force Base. So he was out Uh there calculating the weather, uh, you know, for the planes to fly. But he was isolated. And there were others before him who had the job, but when they encountered the ETs that also live out there, it freaked them out. And he was the first one who stayed for any length of time and actually did some serious interacting with the ETs so he had interactions with um, what they call the tall whites and uh-huh. um, also with the grays and also with um, um, a Nordic type uh, of ET. And um, the most recent postings that you're referring to on the website uh, had to do with his interactions with the tall whites and with the grays. And, uh um, I eventually got to meet him. He and his wife uh, were doing some kind of a presentation in—I don't remember the place anymore—perhaps Virginia. But we, uh, Evelyn Gordon, who is a co-founder uh, of this website, she and I went to visit them. They proved to be just the most down-to-earth, honest people who had no ulterior—you uh, know—ulterior uh, al- motive for coming up with these stories. In fact, he had originally kept this diary and published the information primarily uh, as a legacy for his children and grandchildren. So he wasn't out there trying to get attention, and he certainly is a, basically kind of a quiet, shy guy. Uh, very, very believable. Um, some of the things that stand out in my mind regarding the tall whites is um, uh, they're, they're kind of tall and thin, um, and when they wear the right clothes, they can mix in with humans, and, but not well. And so what they would do is, especially the women, they enjoyed uh, dressing up like humans and going into Vegas. And in Vegas, you can get away with a lot of stuff and people won't pay any attention to you. So that was Absolutely. one of the ways that the women enjoyed, you know, visiting Earth. But they described, um, they'd had a base there um, in this area for many, many years. I have no idea when they first came there. But um, Charles got to meet uh, the daughter of one of the tall whites, and she had been born during the presidency of James Madison which his uh, he was president in 1809, 1817. So clearly these tall whites live longer than we do, and clearly they have been uh, coming to Earth for a long time. Uh, they described coming to Earth as almost like a bus tour, you know, a tour of the cosmos or a tour of the planet. And it, uh, the Earth was also used as a place to um, uh, refurbish uh, the their vehicles, <clears throat> And to you know have some R and R here on Earth, so that's kind of some highlights from his story.
1: Well, I think when when he was selected for this, he was he he first of all he has amazing degrees to his to his benefit, so that he's not you know a high school person. He he has some some really impressive um, degrees that that back up his. Um, his comisitis, so to speak.
2: But which which really he, has proved to help him when he sees things from the present looking back. Because when right. he was on that base, uh, it was in 65 and 67, he was clearly a very young man, so he wouldn't have had all those credentials with him. But that's certainly, that education, and I think one of the degrees is nuclear engineering, certainly yeah. helped him. Better understand and better un, uh, explain, um, you know, what the um, set, what the ships were like that these ETs used, and you know, explain the propulsion systems and things of that nature.
1: I think what confused me was the the army basically or the air force told him that that you know he didn't need top clearance. Nothing he was going to see was top secret. He, you know, wasn't under any restrictions at all. I don't understand, you know, and he, and he didn't really talk about any of this, um, which I find, you know, back in the '60s, it would have it would have been, um, I mean, I mean, they were at, um, let me see, they were at Area 53 and Area 54, so so that they were in that same area as Area 51 and And yet, there was ne you know he never leaked anything to anybody, but you know he's written four book- well his four book compendium is fifteen hundred pages long, so you know he he kept amazing um notes on on what was going on or or at least you know when he wrote it all and And the other part that I find fascinating is that for someone as young as he was at that time, he had the ability to to understand um, you know he wasn't given a handbook on how to interact with these people he he figured it out himself. he really had to
2: stumble around and learn it. Uh, he did make a reference somewhere in the volumes of pages that he wrote that um, uh, as a even as a child, he was kind of calm cool and collected. so his temperament helped him deal with us also. if you were high strung and suddenly facing e t s uh, you probably would have a hard time staying cool.
1: Yeah, and, and it was almost as though he 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 felt that he treated them like royalty. In other words, he he didn't really speak unless spoken to for in, in many situations. He loved he he enjoyed it when the kids came and they brought children to play around um, in the area. Um, I loved the fact that he kept. Um, Catalogs like Montgomery Ward and Sears and stuff like that, and, and the Lady ETs would like to, you know, look through his catalogs to pick out. Apparently there were clothes there that the military had picked out for them, and it, you could tell apparently that, you know, rather old military people had picked out the clothing that they had for And the them.
2: women didn't <laughs> like it, and so they would Not find <laughs> these outfits in um, Charles's catalogs, um, that they liked, and because there was and probably still is a cooperative arrangement with our military, the military would give what they wanted
1: well and and they didn't have you know great um great demands anyhow but there there was a there were two it was a mountain range, and on I believe the left side is where the um the Ships, the scout ships and the, and the other ships were, were sort of hangered, and on the right side uh, in, a, in a mountain um, was where they had their living facilities.
2: And uh, they're very well camouflaged, so you're not, you're not going to be able to find them on Google. But, um, yeah, apparently uh, some kind of arrangement has been like that for a very long time.
1: Sorry, just, <clears throat> just choked on myself.
0: <laughs>
2: <coughs>
1: Goodness. So, so I I found this fascinating. Am, am it I sounds like I better talk here.
2: Talks? I think I better talk, talk here. <laughs> but, but if you get to the website and you go to our section that's simply labeled ETs and Bigfoot, um, his stories are near the top of that, that section, not in the archives, but the current section. And uh, there is a video there if you have time. It's a good way to uh, learn the highlights of his experiences because I, uh, with my editor's um, uh, head on or hat on, um, I would have condensed his four books into probably one volume because he truly goes into enormous detail. And because he was keeping apparently such a thorough diary, um, there's a repetitive... um, amount of details in his books and so um before anybody goes off and buys all four volumes which i did do <laughs> and i did read i would suggest watching oh, the video yeah, it yeah. will take considerably less time to get a good overview of of his experiences
1: oh yeah no, how's, the your, video how's your voice the is it video. working i'm back is I'm your back. voice back
2: okay yeah the other thing uh and this wasn't with a, a video i did a uh, kind of a summary-type article, and I've highlighted major points in boldface type. And it was some of the insights that were new to me regarding the grays. And he, he explained that um, as the gray ETs get older, they uh-huh. get taller, and many people have always assumed that there were two species, that there were you know, the short grays and the tall grays. The tall grays are simply the adults. That was something I'd never heard totally stated before. Uh, Another thing he explained was that um, the internal organs, especially the heart and lung, which is like apparently one organ in the grays, it doesn't grow enough to keep up with the growth of the body. And... The older ones begin to have trouble um, breathing on the planet. What then happens is uh, they, their kids, do just fine on the Earth, and they like to play on the Earth. uh, And according to the parents, it's much better for them to play in a remote place on our planet rather than on the Moon or you know, out in space. It's healthier and it, it's it's better for them. So since the older ones have trouble with our environment, they would let, uh, I would assume their teenagers, drive these uh, small scout ships um, and take younger children uh, to the earth to play. And wow. um, because the adults weren't around all the time, they weren't exactly well-disciplined. So they would... Um, you know, cause mischief like, you know, many teenagers will. And one of the things that they had learned was that uh, I guess they must have seen old movies back from the 40s and 50s when people played chicken with their cars. And Uh so they thought humans liked to do that. And they started playing the game of chicken with our pilots. And, of course, our pilots didn't know it was just a game and scared the hell out of them. Um, so uh, I found that really interesting just from what I know of teenagers and children. Um, Another thing which I truly had not heard before was apparently, um, and he gives the details, but uh, the ship that went down in Roswell, the famous one we've heard talked about forever and ever and ever, um, was one of those being driven by uh, a teenage gray and he had, uh, I think there were five on board, so he was the pilot, and then there were some children with him. And so those bodies that he, they found um, at Roswell were gray ET kids. Oh, wow. All of that was, was fairly new to me.
1: Well, to me as well. Uh, it makes sense. but uh, <clears throat> it, Which it, also it, it might explain person...
2: why it's so common when you get reports from people who've had um, encounters with the grays, that there's often a taller one with two shorter ones. So I'm uh-huh. guessing it would be the teenager with the with with two children. Um, and you know, th- I've I've noticed for quite some time there's a pattern, and now there's kind of an explanation for it.
1: How tall do they actually get? Do they um, have, did
2: he? The, well, I did don't. It, uh, he me. probably explains it. I don't know oh. if I have it in the, at the top of my head right now. Um, the tall ones get, you know, like four and a half feet or more, um, and the smaller ones are obviously smaller than that. So yeah. I, I, I won't, you know, I won't tell you that I know absolutely at the moment because I don't.
1: But those are the grays, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> so are the whites a different, a different.
2: Oh, um, different race species. or a species? A I don't know what a different race, race. Let's say absolutely and they are would they're tall and thin and they would look more human
1: Yeah, it's fascinating and you know you, <clears throat> you you hear about them and i i think the one thing that the women kept um uh telling him uh over and over again was that which i found fascinating was that the the tall the tall white ets loved their children more than humans Humans love their children.
2: <clears throat> I don't know how that can be determined, but yes, they very uh, much love their kids, and um, I think any human that caused their kids trouble would probably be in deep, deep trouble.
1: Oh, yeah, because he said if he had touched a child, they could have killed him.
2: hmm hmm And and I want to make it clear that neither of these uh, species, neither the wh- tall whites or the grays, are physically stronger than humans, in fact, they're weaker than humans. Um, he often talked about the um, tall whites having some kind of like a magic wand, wand or rod or whatever that could yeah. um, you know zap people or knock them out or perhaps even kill them. I don't know, but without that uh, there was actually uh, a fear of humans because we are stronger, especially you know the men, stronger and um, you know could actually really really harm them. Um, so I, I I found that kind of interesting also.
1: Um, you want to talk a little bit about how they felt about the pets too? About the what? Pets. Oh
2: oh oh yeah. Um, they were amazed that um, human beings had such a, a caring uh, interest in animals, other animals. They found that really um, surprising because you know we take good care of our pets, or most people are supposed to. And uh, they just found that amazing. He, at some point or another, referred to, uh, this is Charles, referred to himself as feeling like he was um, like a gorilla being viewed by humans uh, because of his his size and his brute strength. And the children came. They would bring the children down to watch him, almost like he would watch a trained gorilla. (laughs) Um, Not only were they interested in uh the diff, you know the different things he did as part of his job but they were interested in you know this this guerrilla in their midst <laughs>
1: well also um the air force was giving them um machinery and technology to re- to repair their ships which i found fascinating <clears throat> and apparently he also said that they were building their scouts here
2: uh, I don't know if they were building them all here but they um I, I remember him once referring to the tall whites as referring to their location out there as like a bus stop where the everybody could rest for two weeks and where they could make repairs on their vehicles.
1: I just find that so unusual that they would set up I mean we were like their garage.
2: Mhm. Mhm and that it's well hidden and obviously there is clearly a uh, an agreement of qu- some kind of cooperation with the the ETs and the military or you know the military wouldn't be out buying catalog dresses for the uh, tall women
1: yeah you you kind of wonder if it's still going on now i mean with this coming out wouldn't you think it kind of strange that it it can't still be there
2: Oh, I think it could probably still be there. <clears throat> Nevada is pretty well uh, guarded and protected in places where they don't want the public to be.
1: Wow. Because he did talk about the mountain range and everything. So kind of gave their, sort of gave their location. Mm-hmm. But I found, it, I found it just so fascinating and, and had never thought about them in that way and the fact that he was able to give you so much insight into the tall whites especially
2: um, right it, and the tall really, whites the tall whites seemed to of course they would be adults for the most part and the tall yeah. whites certainly were um, had much more information much more interest much more uh, information to give back and forth or to share whatever so uh, I'm yeah, sure he that never, he must have <clears throat> he must have enjoyed that better than uh, he would have with the graves. But he
1: didn't. I mean, it, he didn't give the indication that there was ever any real um, communication between them. I mean, they would watch him when he turned on his generator because they had a similar generator that that they were using in in the mountains and stuff. <clears throat> and I guess how he would um, would service it and stuff like that, but. You know, he never sat down and had a beer with anybody or anything like that. I mean, he never talked about where did they come from or what was their planet like. Or you really didn't get a you know he
2: no he didn't he didn't he didn't share that except it sounds like um, they definitely at least have a major base on the moon because they referred to their kids that you know getting and playing on the moon wasn't as healthy and and happy for their kids. Um, so, you know, why would they make that reference? He also, I don't know if I can bring statistics back, but he also talked about uh, these small scout crafts could fly to the moon in 15 minutes, that also it could fly, you know, from one pole to the other in the same amount of time. So it was like (laughs) scooting around in their backyard, really.
1: Yeah, like an ATV. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. It, it almost sounded like he that there there might be another base of some sort at the south pole at least that's the implication i picked up he didn't
2: yeah and i so, he so. didn't he didn't say that and i don't know quite how to tie in other information um, but the stories that we've done in the past about the ets that are uh beneath antarctica it sounds like a, a you know a total different race of reptilians uh-huh and um, on my list of um, ETs I want to interact with, they are not at the top of my list at all.
1: And, well, the tall whites, they don't seem real friendly. And no,
2: no, but they I, I think there was a lot of um, telepathic um, communication and a great deal of learning by observation. Yeah. On both sides.
1: You know, it's just... If I was that close to, you know, another species uh, <clears throat> and could communicate, it would kill well, me. Well, you
2: might actually do a better job of it because, like I said, Charles is kind of a quiet, reserved person, and um, perhaps somebody with your abilities uh, could much more easily uh, take the communication to a higher higher level.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> well, that's, that's possible. I think once mm-hmm. I got you know over the shock of somebody coming from another planet and being another species that would understand mentally whatever I sent, I would have a hell of a great
2: time with it. Um, yeah, I think I think once you got over that hurdle, you probably would. And um, I don't know how we can get an opportunity for you, but uh, I'd certainly like to write the story of it if you do.
1: Oh, you're you're the first one I would go to. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be an article on your site someday.
2: Well, if you get that story, I promise you'll get really good billing.
1: Okay. I will I will hold you to that. I have you on air saying that. Um, so, so you had a couple of other articles about the Greys on your website as well.
2: Um, yeah, and the articles really are kind of quite different. The one we've been referring to uh, which I ended up titling uh, Gray E.T.'s, Details Not Commonly Known, which we've kind of hit the highlights yeah. on. Um, uh-huh. But then I have published another one called How to Fend Off an Alien Abduction, because um, and maybe it's because they're crazy teenagers. I don't know. But there's so many people that I've talked to face-to-face and have certainly have read about who have been... Um, Abducted by ETs. Uh, they're uh-huh. the they're the ones that are associated with the poking, the prodding, the biological uh, programs, and walking into people's bedrooms, paralyzing yeah. them, just doing things that um, any human being is going to find absolutely awful. And so um, I found out about a book called How to Defend Yourself Against Alien Abduction. Uh, by alien druffle and it goes it was published first published in 1998 and it's helped so many uh, people who've been abducted and i i hit some of the highlights in the article with the idea that anybody who's had those kind of problems once they read this article they might very well want to uh go and get the book um so They can learn uh, all the techniques that uh, this woman presents on ways that you can break the abduction pattern. And she lists nine major ones. I hit on three of them. And uh, um, you just, you know, we humans don't have to deal with this. I mean, people know nobody has the right to do things like that against people's will. And I just think it must violate some kind of universal law, and um, I don't think people need to be terrorized in the way that so many people have.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. There has to be a prime directive out there for sure, and and they didn't get the notice, obviously.
2: Right. <clears throat> but I, um, one, of, one the, of the. Go ahead. The one I
1: laughed. The one I laughed about was the lady who lost her temper.
2: Oh, okay. Um, that is probably uh, that is uh, pretty dramatic, and uh, <laughs> this woman had just reached her breaking point. She'd had enough of these characters intruding into her house, and into her room, and into her life, and into her. I think uh, I think she's one of the ones where her children were being bothered too, and she'd had enough. Uh-huh. And she jumped out of bed and ran toward them uh, and, and attacked the the taller one in the center. Um, she didn't intend to, you know, harm it or kill it or anything like that. She simply wanted them to know that she was fed up and she'd had enough of their uh, interference. And she Uh grabbed the one in the middle, the tall one, uh, by its neck, and um, the neck broke and the head fell backwards onto its back. Now, the, um, the reason I included that is because I think people need to know that um, I'm not recommending this as a way to deal with other species, but it lets you know that they are not physically superior to us. And through this book, again, the title is How to Defend Yourself Against Alien Abduction. And, Uh you know, it just gives you ways to to stop that from happening. And, of course, uh, the, the story that was sticking out in your mind and mine was this extreme case where, you know, it's called the physical stru- uh, struggle technique but she uh-huh. really stressed the importance of mental strug- struggle and uh, um, when i guess the creatures really get surprised when human beings show resistance and yeah. that alone sometimes is enough to get them to back off um, well she she said uh, but that here they i'm going to quote her sweet. i'm going to quote her on, oh, okay. on the first uh, the first one that that she recommends Quote, appeal to spiritual personages is perhaps the most powerful technique yet uncovered. The technique is readily available to a majority of people of all religions and walks of life, as well as by many of the great philosophers down through the millennia. So that's a quote. And people who have called in, and she lists them, God, Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, Mary, the saints, angels, spirit guides, have been able to break the abduction um, pattern uh, more readily than any of the other eight uh, techniques that she presents. But you don't have to be religious to find a technique that you can use to stop these uh, abductions from happening.
1: Well, I think she also said that they fed on fear, and I know a lot of times, when people talk about seeing them and being levitated, <clears throat> levitated, they say they can't move. And most probably it's fear that is freezing them, not necessarily something that the grays have done to them.
2: And I don't know. I do. That either that could be true, and it could be true that they're able to, um, to do something um, with great concentration mentally or using the, the spiritual um, request. For help uh-huh. um, That uh, Paralysis Can be broken um, uh-huh. and, and people Need to know that And again Anybody And there's got to be Somebody in your audience Who has had The experience Of aliens being In their bedroom Or you know They know somebody Who's been tormented By it And again I, I don't know This author But I Would highly recommend That they get This old book How to defend yourself Against alien abduction it's part of well, my effort to stop the harassment.
1: You know how sometimes something happens to you and you often wonder about it and then you think, no, I was imagining it, and then maybe I wasn't, and then maybe I was?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I had one of those situations. I was sick. I was, I was very sick. And <clears throat> I remember feeling that somebody was trying to attack me. Or so, I, felt the, I felt the presence of someone else and at one point I was sitting at the top of the staircase in my house and I felt them behind me pushing me as though they were trying to push me down the stairs.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I just leaned my head against the wall and I said, Look, I've had it. I'm not going to play this game. I'm sick. My son's down there. You touch my son, I'll kill you if you're, if you're not already dead. And, you know, if you happen to be an alien, I'll, I'll hunt you across the universe. So, you know, and I, I just... Now,
2: were you thinking this intently or were you actually saying both. it out loud? Both. Both. All right. Good for you. Well, that's what this so girl it, recommends.
1: And, and it was really, it was funny because suddenly there was a cool breeze and it was gone and I never had that experience again. But it was, it was really as though there was something or someone behind me and it wasn't a spirit because a spirit I would have recognized. I, I would have—it's mm-hmm. a different feeling. Mm-hmm. But it was—it was. I don't know what it was or who it was, but I do you remember. You did the right thing. Standing up, I couldn't stand because I had a really high fever. But I—you I couldn't stand because, because I what? A, I
2: couldn't understand you. I,
1: I had a really high fever.
2: Oh, okay. <clears throat>
1: so, at you know, looking back on it, was I hallucinating? or was i not and and my my strong feeling is i was not hallucinating because i've never had an experience like that before and i've had high fevers before so mm-hmm. uh, and and i can that makes sense if you get angry instead of afraid you you have a powerful tool
2: mhm and uh, she all she refers to righteous anger like, you have no right to interfere in my life. You have no right to be in here. You have no right to bother my children. Um, and that's, yeah. that's righteous anger. It's not just an emotional outburst.
1: Well, I was more frightened for my son than I was for me.
0: Because,
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was, I think he was maybe seven or eight years old at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, <clears throat>
1: excuse me, no, it was, and I think most people have had. Most, most people have probably had that feeling and not known what it was, but they felt a presence and they couldn't tell. And, and you know, there was that back and forth it's my imagination, no, it's not, yes, it is. And I think that, that many people have had that kind of an experience where there truly was something there and they just kind of dismissed it and closed their consciousness to the possibility of it.
2: Yeah, because we have a, uh, the human being. Has uh, the great capacity to um, act in denial, you know, ignore it. It's not there. It'll go away, and uh,
1: yeah,
2: it's one of the defense mechanisms that's commonly used.
1: Well, having used it myself numerous times, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it it does work <laughs> to a degree, but but then then when you get more into yourself and and learn more about yourself and and come to a greater relationship within yourself, then you look back on those situations and you start to think, huh, maybe there was something else there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, uh, and, you know, I want to go back to this video because I highly recommend people do click on it, and you have the link on your website. I just, I don't understand why the government didn't shut this guy down.
2: And that's puzzled me, too. All I can think of is maybe they understood him and knew he wouldn't say anything. Maybe if they they had all these restrictions on him, it would have, I don't know, it doesn't fit what we normally know of the government. So, yeah, that remains a an open mm-hmm. question.
1: I mean, this is 50-some years later.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and he's published a, a four-book, Memorial Actually, Hospitality. He's, he,
2: right and uh, the original set that i you know read 16 years ago uh was you know obviously volumes 1 through 4 but then i recently read uh his latest one and that's um simply um let's see what do you call it it's uh, well it's volume 5 and this is the one where i got the stories about the grays he hadn't uh-huh. talked about that in his previous books in fact it's i recommend just, uh, that people get his last book that uh, they read it, uh, uh, the back section first. The back section is all about the ETs uh, or the Greys and Uh the Roswell uh, situation. And I found that much more interesting. And then I didn't do it in this order, but I recommend it now. Then go back and read from the beginning of the book because he um, has, again, the editor here is now talking Uh, Too many details or repetition in the first part of the book, Uh, Uh but there is an interesting story of um, uh, two uh, ETs saving two Oriental orphans and bringing them back to the Nellis place and then, um, uh, I guess, eventually turning them over to humans so they could be adopted. So that was a kind thing to do.
1: Yeah, and he said also um, in his interview that he had saved the lives of a couple of them. Didn't tell how, but said that he had, he had saved the lives of a, of a couple of the tall whites. And um, so, and, and, and he just said I, he had saved just several of their lives, and therefore, you know, they accepted him a little better. But, but uh, he's very believable. There is, Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: you know that what he's saying, he totally believes in, and, you know, I have no reason to, you know, discount him. You know, you come out with a story like this, and, of course, you're going to have the naysayers all over the place, and maybe the the Air Force thought that if he he started talking about it, nobody Nobody would would believe believe him,
2: him. right? And that may be what they gambled on.
1: It would have been a safe gamble. Um, Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Because they would, uh, most yeah. of the world, especially at that time, would have just written him off as crazy.
1: Well, it's and it takes a lot. Important. It takes a lot
2: of courage to come forward with that information, uh, even today. And I think it's been a, a probably a difficult. I'm guessing now a difficult time for Charles himself, because I, he was raised traditional Catholic, so he uh-huh. had to get past all the hurdles that his religion would have put on him um, so i mean that's a big challenge too
1: yeah i'd have i have a hard time keeping quiet if i had actually met a real et and, and they could prove it you know he said he'd mm-hmm. even been in one of the in, in one of the scout ships or in one of the i can't remember mm-hmm. if it was the scout ship or, a, or or one of the larger ships
2: I think it was one of the smaller ones but I really at this I don't remember.
1: Yeah, I don't either and I just watched it yesterday. Um but the scout ships looked fascinating and and they easily could have he said that they looked white when they when they before they started to actually fly and then they did change color when they were in the air and flying around. Um and it has We get to reports do with it. all
2: the time of of uh Uh, et ships changing color i mean that's Uh just really common and uh, i don't know if it's all for the same reason or not if it's simply just the velocity at which the engines are going or what but uh, or the degree of electromagnetic energy coming out of the uh... the vehicle Uh, Uh but the color changes are very very common
1: yeah but when i saw it did that it changed it had different colors but these these definitely could have been the foo fighters during world war 2. Mhm. I mean and and one would wonder if it if they they seemed smaller than what appeared over uh Los Angeles in the battle of Los Angeles. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Those were larger ships, I believe.
0: By the
2: way, right. um, I've had I've had some uh, I've I've saw it, but we're obviously all you know spending more time at home this year, and yes. was watching a movie on Netflix last night, and there were um, a, a number of Orientals in the movie, and I've had the thought before, but the movie really brought it home again. That, um, like, especially the Japanese people, they look like they are closer to what we see in, like, the grays. They have the flatter face. They uh-huh. have the thinner body, the longer torso. Um, they you, do, you never see a big-breasted um, uh, Japanese woman. Um, no. And the eyes, even though they're kind of uh, small, they're still slanted. And I just kept thinking, they, you know, could they be um, another uh, race that has evolved here from another source? And I am firmly uh, open uh, – that sounds crazy. I am open to the possibility that many of the races have been uh, germinated from different species throughout the universe. And uh, oh, the, yeah. the, the Japanese <laughs> well, certainly look a little bit more like uh, – um, the greys than some of the other humans that we have.
1: Well, look at Bigfoot. Bigfoot, when you tested the DNA, look what happened with that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, half human and half some unknown primate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, you can only conclude that uh, this is a big um, experimental planet, you know, where I think there's genetic manipulation going on or has been going on for a long time.
1: Well, that's the only way I can explain the Rh factor for sure. Uh,
2: that's certainly that's certainly something to think about.
1: Well, I, I, you know, it's it's sad. We 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 live here. We've been aware for the last ten thousand years. I don't know what happened before that, after the ice age and before the ice age and stuff like that. But <clears throat> I think we we get very arrogant in thinking that you know, quote unquote like Hitler said, we are the master race, because um, chances are we're not. Well, I think and, there's a real
2: good chance that we are not at the high scale in the universe.
1: No. <laughs>
2: if we are, it's really pathetic.
1: Well, you know, I look at at the fact that I've often said I really think the Earth has been in quarantine and, you know, the highly evolved terrestrials out there have been told to leave us alone until we've reached their level of until we
2: grow up a bit yeah because we are we're viewed as a very violent race
1: and then look at what happened to us we we we've all been put on house arrest just about for the last nine weeks Mm -hmm. and you know with the pandemic and and um i I think i think that that while at first you know, we all behaved quite nicely. I, I think that nine weeks is about as far as most people are going to let it go. Right,
2: and many people are coming out of this quarantine and just full of rage, and so we're getting a lot of very uh, antisocial behavior, especially in the big cities.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, when you look at the fact that, that um, I mean, you had something on your website about it, I think I I remember reading something a, a bit ago about about the pandemic and and how it, it was targeting certain. Um, yeah,
2: one, certain of our, one of our one of our whistleblowers, um, who has given us information in the past, which has been very accurate, and so I have, you know, reason to believe he knows what he's talking about, and. Um, I think his. I can find it for sure here. His story is in um, our deep throat section, and uh-huh. you can find that on the home page. Open up deep throat, and once you open it, there's an article third from the top, and it's coronavirus created in the laboratory. Goes into yeah. quite a bit of detail there, and uh, because of that, I I just have posted a story which is very personal. Um, it's called "Mad Scientists Blame Monkeys for uh, for uh, for Virus." Yeah. That's the title. <laughs> and the reason the reason that I wrote it was because 25 years ago I met um, Dr. Joanne Whitaker, and she's a medical doctor with truly incredible credentials. Um, and as a friend, she confided in me that um, HIV/AIDS was created in the lab. And then she pulled out a copy of the congressional record uh, that showed where uh, Congress, back in the late 1970s, had um, okayed the development of something that sounded just like AIDS, that would, you know, almost be used like a weapon. And uh, a few years later, the disease entered the U.S. and was officially named AIDS in 1982. Um, but our mad scientist blamed it on some monkeys in Africa.
1: Yeah.
2: And you know, I I just you know I think it's really really sad that uh, we have um, the mad scientists who create these kind of things in the lab. Uh, but this was you know somebody who. I mean, her, I should really touch on some of her her credentials. I mean, she went to Bowman Gray School of Medicine. She taught in seven different medical schools. She started a medical school in um, Thailand and did training programs for physicians in Vietnam. She started the first and, uh, um, hospice in in Florida, and she uh, found an accurate test for Lyme disease. She she won the American Medical Society's Distinguished Service Award. I mean, she was truly an amazing woman. And um, since I knew her personally and had every reason to trust her, um, I found her information, you know, very credible. And if I had been uh-huh. doing the website back then, I would have been there with a tape recorder and my camera. Um, but I wasn't. So that's, you know, I can't give a whole lot of details. If I had a copy of that congressional <laughs> record, I would, I would have posted it.
1: Oh yeah, and and I want to recommend everybody go to her website, uh, Sky Ships Over Cashiers, and look for the article Coronavirus Whistleblowers Protection Advice. Um,
2: oh, by the way, we got in deep doo doo trouble with that one. Once that was posted. Um, We could no longer... We sent out uh, one batch of notices, which I do email notices when we have new information on the Uh website. And um, because I was using Yahoo, I could only send out X a number at a time. So the first batch went out, and after that, I could never again send even a single blind copy or a single copy. I could only send Uh a simple email. And okay. so we we are in the midst of and have um, switched to a different server, and so far the information is getting out there. Uh, I'm still okay. learning how to do it. And the last batch uh, went out looking really stupid because I didn't realize that when I copied and pasted into the new system that the coding didn't go with it, so the letters came out different sizes and ah. but.
1: Well, I learned. I just, learned. We'll just we'll just put it out on Nightlight. It's it's coronavirus whistleblowers protection advice. It is eye opening, and it's not going to surprise anybody. But but I love the last line, and it's one can bet if a COVID nineteen vaccine is released, it will be filled with all sorts of nasty stuff.
2: Yeah, um, that's very unsettling, isn't it?
1: It is, and and I had already made a personal decision that if they do have a vaccine, that I will not take it. Um, and that's and that's a, that's
2: going to be a tough decision for people to make. Um, it, it but is, you know, there's but, already been improvements in. Uh, they have found ways that work better in treating people now. I mean, the simple uh-huh. thing of getting them to be on their stomach instead of on their backs, that they're able to to get air more easily. Um, there's uh-huh. been a number of things they've learned, which, you know, have increased. I mean, when I first started keeping track of, of sta- uh, statistics, um, it was well past thirty percent of the people were dying that got the disease. Yeah. And And um, I haven't looked in a day or two, but it's down b- below twenty percent now. So it's dropped between twelve and fifteen percent. Um, oh yeah.
1: Okay.
2: Because okay. they've learned they've learned some stuff from all of this.
1: Well, and one thing that makes great sense that I had not even thought about for men, no mask will do any good against it unless you're clean-shaven. This is not a good yeah. time for beards. Yeah. Um that makes that makes uh males are one of the primary demographics being targeted. And I swear to you though I haven't seen it any place. I haven't read it any place. This is purely I'm I'm I'm, you know, putting in a this is my opinion only, and this is not on Mary's website. But I truly believe that we're going to find over time that this virus is going to sterilize people.
2: Oh, I do think that's part of the intention. I think that's part of the reason that, uh, uh, they, you know, according to this whistleblower, the, the males have been uh, targeted more than um, females. And uh-huh. I do know from the statistics that have come out that the percentage of men dying of it is higher than women.
1: Yeah. And <clears throat>
2: and, and you know, I them. you know, I there's there's two I can see this from two points of view. From like the moon looking down I'm going you, you see these cities that we have, you know, Hong Kong and, and Melbourne and New York and they're just Um, I don't know piles of people in rock buildings, and it Uh looks like we've been like it's been over overpopulated. And I do think we have a population problem. I don't like this method of bringing the population down. Uh, I think there's ways that could be done much better, but I do think that's part of the motivation of what's going on because we're we're messing up the. We're messing up the environment. We're polluting things. You know, we are destroying the planet in so many ways. And in some respects, um, a distant, cold-hearted entity might see us as a virus ourselves.
1: Well, the Earth may look upon us as a virus.
2: Yes, Um, looking up. (laughs)
1: I mean, heck, we're we're ants across the surface and and we've tunnelled inside just like ants do. So
0: mhm.
1: No, I think um I'm hopeful that although I have to admit that I had, had in, in my um predictions for what I saw coming, I saw riots. I still do. Mm-hmm. And Michigan is a really good example of what's what's starting to Yeah,
2: we're already seeing that to some degree.
1: handle under the surface and I think until probably the first of the, the first of the year it's not going to calm down and i don't mean the virus i just mean the population
2: just human behavior yep yep i I, think b- that, I would agree
1: and i would be i mean i have a personal belief as to who's going to be elected president and if that happens i do believe there are going to be riots so uh if people needed uh you know, therapy dogs and lollipops after the last election, I imagine it will be the same this way. And and with people having coming out of, you know, nine weeks in hibernation, so to speak, um, it won't be easy for those who have a belief system that is against others' belief systems. So I think that we're in for a rough couple of months, but, you know, we are a very tenacious, Group of people here in America, uh, North America even, and uh, I, I believe we'll come out of this, but it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yep, but, that's but for thanks, sure.
1: You know, thanks to you for your amazing website because um, Skyships Over Cashiers puts that information out there. We, how often do you update that site?
2: Um uh, every week or every two weeks.
1: It's it's amazing. There's always something. But it's usually new there it's I,
2: usually like two or three stories at a time.
1: It's just it's and and I, I wanna also tell people after they've gone and looked at the website to check the archives because she has over a decade of archives there that will absolutely blow your mind. Um the material is just so good. And at the very least, it's great trivia to to talk about at at dinner with your family, or it educates you in a way that you never thought you needed or could be educated. It's just a phenomenal website, and I'm, I'm just so delighted that you spend, you know, one evening a month with us to help put some of this information out there to a larger audience than your website hits you know. Thank you. Because people don't
2: know about it. You know, we're not, this is not a money-making venture. This is simply a a passion, I guess, to get information out to people. Uh So I guess I'm just down at the core of me, just somebody who likes to learn and share what I learn.
1: Yeah, and the more trouble you get into, the better you get, because you must know you're you're hitting somebody's nerve someplace if, if people are censoring you to any degree at all. So Good for you,
2: Oh, I hope that we've mastered to get around, managed to get around this t- the problem this time.
1: Well, Facebook censured me a while back, and I really flipped out because I had just criticized somebody a little bit. It was only a little bit, and they they cut me off like crazy, so I wow. know what it feels like. Wow, <clears throat> yeah, it, it happens to all of us, so you you've joined a really good club. But I noticed I notice okay. missed off. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed talking so to
2: you, and I hope you have a really good week.
1: Oh, uh, it's gonna be a good week, and and thank you so much again. Y- you're such a pleasure to to talk to and to talk about all of these issues, and I hope that we put some information out there that will um, tantalize others to do some more research. So, thank you. Thank you again. And I will talk to you, well, I'll talk to you probably before next month, but next month we will do this again.
2: All righty. You, you and your audience have a very nice sleep.
1: Thank you. And everybody, thank you very much for listening in. And, again, if you're listening in in archive, please uh, please subscribe to the channel so that you'll know when Mary comes back again and and all of the other good stuff that goes on here uh, Have another show tomorrow night with a new host on Nightlight, so please tune in to uh, hear David Collis's first show. That would be 10 p.m. Eastern time, and of course next week again four shows. So yeah, four shows, no waiting. Um, So have a good evening. Take care of yourselves. Stay well. Stay healthy. And stay isolated until you get get the free to go. Good night, everybody.